Good morning. Um, my name is Dustin, and uh, I'm one of the small group leaders here at uh, River City Church. And uh, I'm very excited for this opportunity to kind of get to open God's Word with you guys for the second time. Somehow they invited me back, so i do not exactly sure how that happened, but it happened. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just excited to see what God has in store for us to teach our hearts this morning. So a little update from the Tisver home. Uh, all of our furniture that we've been waiting for anxiously has finally arrived, and our house is now beginning to feel more like a home. And that's exciting for us because it's just fun to get settled in and all of that. Um, but if you want to come see it, I have an open invitation for you. You get to come to our house this weekend and watch the Masters Golf Tournament with me. So if you're interested in watching the Masters Golf Tournament, I will be on the couch watching that because that is something that is very important to me this coming week, and it is the best sporting event. You know, the second best sporting event, in my opinion, is March Madness. The first best is the Masters, which follows right after. So it's a great, great time of year. Um, so this week, what we'll be taking a look at is the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount. We will be focusing in on Matthew 6, 1 through 8, and 16 through 18, where Jesus continues down this path of confronting religious behavior as he has continually raised the bar for what behavior in the kingdom should look like. So last week, Brandon covered a large amount of verses discussing the Old Testament law and how Jesus came to fulfill that law. He didn't come to abolish or get rid of the law, but he rather came to complete it. So I don't know about you, but when I think of completing something, I think of checking it off a list, right? I think of crossing it out, it's done, it's behind me, I don't have to worry about it anymore. However, it seems like Jesus in this passage last week taught about how the standard to live goes far beyond our actions it actually goes deeper into um, our hearts and minds. It goes deeper into our hearts and minds. The, the things that we think about, the things that we feel, the things that we say actually have implications for the way that we are obedient to the law or actually fulfill the law. Um, it's not just our outward actions, but things that are happening internal in our hearts. So where the Old Testament law was once this clear standard it seems that Jesus raises the bar to what seems to be an impossible standard, the standard of somehow becoming more righteous than the Pharisees and becoming perfect like he is perfect. And that's all kind of what Brandon kind of laid out for us last week. But it is in these verses we study today where Jesus takes a deeper look at the motivations of our heart and the things that actually help us to be obedient. It is in God's full understanding of our human sinfulness that he realizes he is calling us to meet a standard that cannot be met. And this is why Jesus does not stop at be perfect as I am perfect. That's not his ultimatum and just kind of drops the mic and leaves and says, all right, good luck. He says he knows that we're going to fall short of that. But in order for our righteousness to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, our motivations need to come from a completely different place. 
Our hearts actually need to find pleasure in seeking a different purpose. And this is the most important one. Our righteousness must be defined in a completely different way. Our righteousness is a completely different type of righteousness. So, this is why it's crucial that we understand this morning that our motivation toward kingdom righteousness is rooted in God's eternal rewards, not the temporary praise of men. So it's important this morning that we understand that our motivation towards kingdom righteousness is rooted in God's eternal rewards, not the temporary praise of men. Our obedience to our Father in heaven is not defined or motivated by our actions that are seen in public by the people around us, but true obedience is actually characterized by our actions in the secret, quiet areas of our life. It is motivated by a future reward that is coming, not the immediate and temporary praise of people. So growing up, um, my dad, had a, he was really good about um, setting expectation for how we were to be obedient at our household, the responsibilities that we had. And one of the responsibilities I had growing up was to mow the lawn. And I was confident that I, I had this responsibility. No one else had it. I had that responsibility. However, I almost never chose to mow the lawn before actually being asked to mow the lawn by my dad. I didn't take that responsibility upon myself to notice when the lawn actually needed to be mowed. So looking back, this all came down to my motivation. In most cases, my motivation was self-seeking. I I cared more about the video game I wanted to play or the show I wanted to watch or the friends I wanted to hang out with. I basically wanted to do anything other than mow the lawn. But this always led to an end of stressing my dad out, disobeying him, and really, you know, causing him to be frustrated with me and not obeying him the way that he expected me to obey him. In the end, in that situation, the yard would get done, it would look good, but I was not respecting my dad. I didn't, I didn't have respect for him. So there were some occasions, though. There were some occasions where I would come home from school, you know, I was in high school, I'd come home, and I would drive into the driveway and realize, oh, the lawn is really long. And I actually was like, oh, I should mow the lawn. And I jumped immediately on to mowing the lawn. I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I feel motivated to do this. And why did I feel motivated in that moment to do it? Well, it ultimately came down to the fact that I loved my father. And I wanted him, I wanted to obey him. And when my dad would come home from work to see my hard work, he would always be pleased with me, not because the, mow, the lawn was mowed and it looked good, but he was pleased with me because I was reciprocating love for him in my obedience. So no one except for my dad cared that I mowed the lawn that day. I didn't have an audience watching me, cheering me on. I simply wanted to pr- please my dad because I loved him, And he loved me. So in this way, we are not motivated toward obedience and seeking the praise of men, rather in seeking the praise of our Father in heaven. 
We pursue kingdom righteousness out of love for him. So as we examine this passage that I'm about to read, we will see Jesus warn against practicing righteousness to be seen by others, and he will correlate two motivations with two rewards. So we'll look to define what it looks like to practice our righteousness. We will look at wrong motivation with a worthless reward. And we will look at right motivation with a priceless reward. As well as we will ask the question at the end, how do we change what we want? How do we change that? And that's where we're going today. So let's, how about you pray with me and we'll dive in. Your Father, um, I'm just so thankful for this opportunity to preach your word. That's, um, that's a responsibility that goes far beyond something that I can do. It has to come from you, and I ask that it does this morning. God, I'm so thankful that it is your spirit that is speaking and moving in this place to touch our hearts and teach us so that we can grow to become the men and women that you desire us to become. It's in your name we pray. Amen. levitating or something out here. Maybe I'll move too. All right. I don't know if we have the passage we can throw up on the screen or not. All right. So Matthew 6, 1 through 8, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But... When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, In verse 1, Jesus starts right off the bat with, um, a warning. He warns us by saying, be careful how you practice your righteousness so that you can be seen by others. In order to understand what wrong motivations look like in regards to practicing our righteousness, we must first understand what it means to practice righteousness. What does that wording mean? So is righteousness at its core an identity or 
Is it an end goal? So is righteousness at its core an identity, or is it an end, is it an end goal? So far in reading this passage, it seems very clear that the Pharisees, who are referred to here as the hypocrites, it seems like they believe their righteousness was an end goal. So it was something that they worked towards. It was something that they were trying to achieve, to get better at. They were working to become more righteous. Righteousness to the Pharisees was defined by their outward actions of obedience toward God. It was defined by their outward actions of obedience towards God. However, the kingdom of the gospel reverses this religious thinking understood by the Pharisees. As Christians, righteousness is not something earned. It is something that is given to us. It is an identity that is given to us. We cannot become more righteousness because we've already received all righteousness through Jesus. We've already received all righteousness through Jesus. Therefore, Practicing righteousness in order to become more righteous and gain righteousness as an end goal is not what Jesus is talking about when he talks about practicing righteousness. It's not something that we are doing to gain. It's something that is given to us as an identity. We practice righteousness as a response to living in accordance to the identity we've been given to reflect the image of the one we're created to reflect. So an example of this, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, they have a little beagle. And the beagle, you know, walks on all fours, walks out a doggy door, eats food and water from a bowl because it's a dog. It's a beagle. That's what dogs do. However, my nephew who has this beagle, can also walk on all fours, follow the dog out the doggy door, and eat dog food out of the doggy bowl. But that does not make my nephew a beagle. So that's just a simple way to say that our actions are not what um, make us have an identity. It's rather an identity that we have that causes us to act, right? So even though my nephew would love to be a beagle, and sometimes he's frustrated when you tell him that he's not, and he can't have dog food, he's not a beagle, he's a little boy. So, with understanding what it looks like to practice righteousness from a kingdom perspective, we can take a deeper dive into the false motivations and traps that the Pharisees fall into here. In this passage, Jesus uses um, three commonly understood religious practices to describe the hypocrites and how they practice their righteousness. So in this passage, he looks at giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. And in this, Jesus is very clear to warn against acting as the hypocrites do. In verse 2, the hypocrites sound trumpets before them as they go to give to the needy. 
was just like a way that they would attract attention themselves, not necessarily by actually blowing trumpets, but in some way gaining attention so that they, people would realize, hey, I'm giving to the needy, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. In verse 5, they would pray out loud on the street corners and in the synagogues using many words. And in verse 16, they would disfigure their faces so that the people around them would know that they're suffering and hungry while they're fasting. In every case, the root of their motivations was to be seen by others in public. The root of their motivation was to be seen by other people. They cared most about their public appearance as being righteous. So what they cared about was that other people would see them as righteous. They desired to be approved of and honored by the people around them. And it's in reading about the motivations that these hypocrites have, these Pharisees have, um, I was reminded of a time in my own life when I moved to Kentucky. So when I moved, well, when I graduated college from uw Platteville. Um, I got a job, and that job asked me to move to Murray, Kentucky. And that's probably the farthest away I've moved from anyone I know ever in my life. Um, But that's exactly what happened. I moved away to everyone I know, everything I know, and I knew no one there, and no one knew me. So I was starting completely fresh. And in my journey there to get plugged into a church, um, I was eager to serve in whatever way I could possibly serve. Um, so I just jumped all in. I jumped all in. I, I was a single guy. I knew nobody. What am I going to fill my time with? I'm going to serve a church, right? So I, you know, I get plugged into being a volunteer for the youth group. I start trying out for the worship team. I join small group. I do whatever I can do to, one, meet people, and two, to serve a church and just also... Really, when I got down to the heart of it, like I wanted to rebuild a reputation that I no longer had. So this came down to a moment um, where I had tried out for the worship team, and in that process, it came to the point where they approached me and actually said, hey, we would love to have you a part of the worship team. We really want you to be you know, a part of what's going on here. And it was in that moment where, like, I really wanted to say yes. I really did. But in my heart, I felt this kind of deep, weird conviction that for some reason I wasn't supposed to do that right now and that something was off with my motivation. I wasn't wanting to join the worship team for the right motives. What it came down to was that my motivation was to reestablish my own reputation, to be on a stage in front of people that I didn't know so that they could understand that I was someone to be respected and I had these gifts and abilities that they should want. And I was trying to reestablish myself in community and really get praise for myself, not praise for my Father in heaven. And so it was in that situation where this passage really spoke to me and said, oh, yeah, I really had a heart like the hypocrites in that moment. So in one of, um, in one of John Piper's messages I was reading this week, um, he states that disobedience shows a misplaced praise. 
disobedience shows a misplaced praise. So where we should be seeking out the praise of our Father in heaven, we end up misplacing that praise onto ourselves. We begin to desire things to go our own way and not the way that God wants them to go. And in our act of what seems like obedience in the moment actually becomes, by its very nature, disobedience because of the motivations that are driving it. So even though I felt like I was being obedient, like I'm serving a church, I'm doing these great things, like I want to get plugged in, and I knew I was supposed to do those things, but at the root, my motivation wasn't correct. I didn't desire to praise my father. I desired praise for myself. And that in and of itself became disobedience in that moment. In Galatians 1.10, Paul writes this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So what is motivating us, really, in this type of motivation? Is it really the approval of human beings? Is it really to please the people around us? Why? I mean, this motivation really, I mean, it seems like a good thing. It seems like a good thing to want to please other people, right? I want to put others before myself, and I want to make you happy, and all those things. It seems like a really good thing. It's really appealing, but, and like all of us do it, but we all fall, and we all fall into this trap. But Paul here in this verse in Galatians, he recognizes this trap. And he says um, that we cannot both aim to please God and to please people. Or else, you know, we stop being a servant of Christ. So the thing about this, uh, this temptation, this motivation to please people, is that people's views and opinions of us or of things in general are constantly changing. They are not consistent, and what is pleasing to one person is repulsive to another person, and we get kind of in this whirlwind of like, oh, I thought that was what you wanted, or what, you know, I, you get lost in that because nothing is constant. So is the praise of mankind truly what we want? At the end of each of the verses 2, 5, and 16, um, Jesus ends his description of the hypocrite's motivation as leading them to their reward. So he talks about what their reward is. Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. The praise of people is what they get, is basically what Jesus is saying. It's what they wanted. If that's what they want, if they want the praise of people, then that's what they'll get. They, that's what they will receive, but that's also what he says, that's all they will receive is the praise of people. It stops there. Their reward begins and it ends with the praise of man. So how worthless is that? Jesus has a real understanding of how worthless that reward truly is. His whole purpose in the sermon is sharing these examples to warn us against this false motivation. And he desires our motivations to be transformed into something lasting and eternal. 
He desires for our motivations to be transformed into something that is lasting and eternal. And it's in the verses following that Jesus describes this very transformation, this transformation to a reward that is lasting and eternal. In verse 4, Jesus says, So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In verse 18, he continues, So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we must ask why God seems so concerned with what is done in the secret places of our life. It seems to me that um, he cares so much about um, what is done in secret because it's in those moments where it's actually the toughest to be obedient to him. It's in those unseen places in our hearts where it's actually the toughest to be obedient. And it's also in those moments where all of our other motivations are stripped away. There's no one that's there to hear us. There's no one that's there to see us. Only God is present in those secret places. Another observation I had in this passage was that um, throughout this passage, Jesus refers to God as a father. So in fact, Jesus does not refer to God in any other identity in this passage. The only way Jesus refers to God in this section here is as father. I think this is intentional because he seems to desire that we relate to the fact that a reward comes from God our father. Conversely, we can know because that he is calling God our Father that that has some meaning towards our identity. As Christians, we are God's children. Through Jesus, he adopted us and gave us a new identity. We are his sons and daughters. That is our identity. We are his sons and daughters. And out of this... There are two main responses, I think, that we can have to our Father. We can either be identified by our independence from our Father, or we can be identified as children of Him and respond to the love that He's shown us. We can either identify as separate from our Father and on our own, or we can identify as His children and respond to the love of our Father. So looking back at my story of mowing the lawn, these two responses are very clear. When my response and motivation came from um, identifying as independent from my dad, then I only cared about what I wanted. I loved myself more than I loved my dad. I was able to enjoy an extra hour of what I wanted, you know, video games or whatever, But after that hour was done, I still had to mow the lawn. And that's all the enjoyment I got out of pursuing my own way was that extra hour. 
beyond that hour, I had no reward. So when my identity was on the fact that I am my father's son, then it was easy to be, be motivated to obey. I was ultimately motivated by the fact that my father loved me. And I was fortunate to have a father that loved me and showed that to me. Mowing the lawn was no longer a chore I had to do. It was something I wanted to do to bring honor and to show obedience to my father and show that I loved and cared for him. My desire was to please him, not to gain his approval or to... Um, not to gain his approval or love, but because he loved me first and desired for opportunities for me to grow into the man that he wanted me to become. He knew the big picture. He saw where I was headed. And when he saw me be obedient in the ways that he desired me to, he saw me responding out of love for him and becoming the man that he desired me to become. It was this motivation that was truly pure. It was lasting and it leads, this reward leads to a priceless and lasting reward. Because when we're obedient to our Father, when we're obedient to our Father in heaven, we get the fullness of joy of the love that we receive from Him, and we get to grow in our intimacy with Him. We get to grow in our intimacy with Him. And we have hope in a reward that is everlasting and it is coming. And this reward is the highest reward that we could possibly receive. It is the reward with the highest satisfaction for us as God's children, and it brings the most glory to him. So I think the important thing here is when we examine the two motivations here. We have a good motivation with a, worse, a worthless reward. We have or a wrong motivation with a worthless reward, and we have a right motivation with a priceless reward. You know, the question we need to ask ourselves is then, how do we change what we want? How do we change our desires and our hearts? And it seems like Jesus in this passage really narrows in on the fact that it starts in the secret, unseen places in our lives. Because <laughs> it's in those secret and unseen places where we learn the motivations of our hearts. That's where we learn what we're all about. So a couple of questions that you could ask yourselves that might show you where you're at with that and where your hearts are truly motivated by or where your identity comes from is this. What are some of the secret times in your day? For me, I kind of think of the times when I'm, you know, driving my car to work, the morning shower and the getting ready, like when I'm by myself and all I have is me and my mind. Maybe... It looks like the time before bed with your spouse or the time when your kids are napping as a stay-at-home mom. Or maybe it looks like your lunch hour on your job where you're not eating with somebody, you're just at your desk or whatever, and you have time to yourself. The next question I would ask is, what do I do with this time? You know, who am I spending that time for? 
Because it's easy in those quiet and secret moments for our minds and hearts to wander. When we step in the shower, where does our mind typically go? When we get into the car, what do we plan to listen to and what do we, time, what do we plan for that time? What is our intention with that time? The reason I ask these questions is not to like, oh, wow, like we're really using that time poorly and we could be using that time better. No, I ask those questions because um, these questions help us understand what it is that we currently want. What is it that we currently want? Those questions should quickly show us whether our hearts desire God's purposes or our hearts desire our own purposes and our own praise. There's a reason that Jesus is so concerned with us practicing our righteousness in these unseen places. Jesus desires for our hearts to pursue one thing only. He desires for us to pursue the glory and praise of our Father God in heaven. To abandon the love we have for ourselves and to pursue only the love of God. And Jesus understood this fully. He understood the value of pursuing his Father and to love and loving his Father. That the praise of man, the love of mankind, could not compare to the love and praise to be received from his Father in heaven. And the amazing thing about this is that, you know, we're studying a sermon Jesus is preaching, but it's really through Jesus himself and the fact that he humbled himself to be the one, or it's, it's really through Jesus himself um, that it's even possible for us to understand the love of God. Jesus, in his flesh as a man, became the perfect example of his Father's love for mankind. It's through Jesus and his act on the cross, laying himself down for us, that we actually understand how much love God has for us. And this is good news because the gospel compels us to count the praise of man worthless in comparison to the endless reward of God's love. The gospel redefines our motivations in the places where only God can see us because the gospel changes our hearts to love God first and foremost. And if we desire to obey him and make, him, and make much of him, when no one else is watching, then how much more will we desire to be obedient to him in the places where people are watching? We will desire for our actions to represent and reflect the one that we love to our friends, to our coworkers, and to the world. So a couple weeks back, Brandon actually preached on a different part of the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about salt and light. Jesus actually instructs us in that passage to let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds to glorify your Father in heaven. Now that 
message just a couple chapters back or like a chapter back in Matthew is kind of seems like a different message than the one that we're listening to or reading right now in the fact that he warns us against practicing our righteousness in front of other people because it's in this salt and light pass where he says, no, shine your light. Go, show others that you're obedient to me so that I am glorified. So the big difference here is motivation. What is the motivation that drives us to show others our love for God versus the ones where we should hide it or we should do it in secret first because the motivation is different. In the salt and light passage, he talks about so that I am glorified. And in this passage, Jesus talks about beware so that you aren't pursuing your own glory. So, how do we change what we want? It's the gospel. The gospel changes what we want. The gospel transforms our hearts to desire the praise and the glory of our Father. He has shown us infinite love through Jesus, and it is that love that we cannot help reciprocate it. We cannot help but reciprocate the love that he's given us. Our old hearts that desired praise from men out of love for ourselves fades away. And our new heart and new identity, a new identity is given to us. God has made us righteous. So let us submit ourselves to our Father as children and live to seek his honor and praise out of love for him. Let us submit ourselves to our Father as his children and live to seek his honor and praise out of love for him. Let's pray. Your Father, um, let us ask that you would be speaking to our hearts this morning about those areas of our life where um, we might be tempted to um, seek things for our own glory and our own praise, to live out where people can see us, that we are motivated by what other people think. Show this to our hearts this morning, God, because that's not what you desire for us. We are missing the point. You desire for our hearts to know you and to love you and to be motivated by that love that is everlasting, that goes far beyond our own desires. Yeah, and we're just thankful for you, God, this morning that we, it's in those unseen places where we surrender to you that that builds a character that desires to surrender to you in the public places and in the places where our coworkers see us and in the places where you desire to be known and you desire to be glorified. So help us start in those unseen places so that we could be obedient in the places where you are seen. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.